0: This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by PowerSwap. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. What is up, everyone? What is up, my friends? I am Charlie Schramm, your host, and you are listening and watching Untold Stories, where twice a week together, we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders, brilliant minds, sharpest tools in the shed to find out how this movement ah, truly came to be where we are right now and where we're going, we get we're talking about the craziest topics over the past few months, like like Bitcoin mining and 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 proof of stake and communities and how we're in a, a potential everything bubble or are we in a multi coin or multi layer one world? And today, very special guest, we get to have Dominic Williams, the founder, the CSO, the Chief Science Officer at Chief Scientific Officer. How do you like to say, it? Chief I'm Science Chief Officer? Scientist. Chief I call scientist. myself chief visionary, chief scientist.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm you know, I'm, I'm president and, and chief scientist, and you know, in, in truth, I work at, at, all the way across the org. But of you know, I'm, I'm still a very technical person, and and, and I'm deeply involved in you know um, technical work um, to make contributions to the internet computer ecosystem.
0: I was just going to say for the uh, Definity Foundation, which is the uh, uh, main laboratory for the internet computer, and The internet computer has been not only like a a major topic over the last few months with people, but really it's now understood that this metaverse or this internet computer is the future. And furthermore, the internet as we know it today kind of wasn't built for what we're using it for. And we constantly see that with things going down, like Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram all the time, our data being hacked by those who we need to protect it, our medical data being hacked by the hospitals where that need to protect us. And Dom, what can I call you, Dom? Of course. What you've been teaching me and what I've been learning from my research is that uh, we keep like building the same things on top of each other. And I want to read a quote with you because read a quote from you to start off the show, because you are concerned that our industry is going in that same direction. And your quote is a lot of these proof of stake networks today that people invest in are really just layer two applications of cloud. And we find that pretty disappointing. Blockchain shouldn't be running on Amazon Web Services, where they can steal the validator keys and do all sorts of bad stuff. How is that a problem to that specific you know, Ethereum uh, uh, virtual machine? But how is it also a problem for our larger community?
1: Yeah, so um, y- you're right, you know, I have um, you know, bemoaned the fact that many of these proof of state networks are really layer to applications of Amazon Web Services. Particularly, but in principle, it could be any sort of big tech you know cloud infrastructure um, and obviously, I got into this uh, through Bitcoin, same as many people and you know uh, in in the original Bitcoin white paper, Satoshi described Bitcoin as essentially being one CPU, one vote. Now we all know that it didn't quite work out as simply as that because you have things like you know mining pools, um, but essentially you know to create Bitcoin blocks, you need um, hashing machinery, you know, machinery that will allow you to spin spin the nonce in in the Bitcoin block you want to propose and calculate the hash and and see if it has some leading zero bits. So um, what that means is that, you know, the Bitcoin network is created by people who have dedicated hardware dedicated to the task. And this is very, very important. It doesn't rely on Amazon Web Services, doesn't rely on Microsoft, doesn't rely on Google. Um, It relies upon this specialized, dedicated hardware. Now, you know, in in a proof-of-work network like Bitcoin or Ethereum, you can think of nodes or participants being either masters or slaves. And the masters are those who are doing hashing and actually producing the blockchain. Then you have the slaves, which are um, nodes that just um, download the chain, make sure that, you know, no illegal transactions have been made, but essentially just replicate it. But the masters, of course, if they want to, can rearrange the chain and, um, you know, do things like double spends. But we look at the decentralization of the masters, in this case, the mining pools, to make sure that no individual actor has the power to do that. I think today, you know, about four, four bitcoin mining pools independent bitcoin mining pools that would need to collude in order to um you know rewrite history um in the bitcoin network there are about three big mining pools that would need to collude and these nodes that download the copies of the chain are really just um slaves now the practice with ethereum became one where these slave nodes um actually were run on Amazon Web Services. So today, um, you know, typically people developing dApps are putting a, webs- a website on Amazon Web Services. And then this on the back end interrogates uh, Ethereum nodes that are run by a service called Infura, which is operated by Consensus Inc. Mm-hmm. And those Infura nodes are run on Amazon Web Services too. Now, I'm actually worried about that architecture for a number of reasons. I, I don't like the fact that users have to go through a website that can get hacked, be censored, um, or, or otherwise um, you know, shut down and influenced. Um, but, but at least you know today, Bitcoin and Ethereum have their chains created by people that have dedicated sovereign hardware, whether that's ASICs in the case of Bitcoin, or you know rigs set up with specialised graphics cards, in the case of Ethereum, but the proof of stake networks of tomorrow, um, you know, uh, often, well, don't require specialised hardware, and therefore, if you like, the whole thing runs upon and depends upon um, typically Amazon Web Services, and you know these guys could um, shut them down, of course, but worse, they could even steal steal the validator keys that enable those nodes running on. Yeah. on on amazon um to produce blocks and arbitrarily subvert the 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 blockchains so you know when we designed the internet computer and you know it was an r d effort that took many many years we wanted to create a blockchain that would uh, deliver on the world's computer vision so naturally it took a lot of work and we rethought um blockchain from the ground up we weren't trying to create digital gold like bitcoin we were trying to create uh, you know a general purpose public blockchain capable really of hosting all humanities um, you know, systems and services using smart contracts and um, driving a blockchain singularity that would um, see all systems or the vast majority of systems and services rebuilt using smart contracts and reimagined in the process. And when we you know, rethought blockchain from the ground up, it was very clear to us that um, the network should be sovereign and it shouldn't be A led to application of Big Tech's cloud. So the internet computer is created by a sovereign network of what we call node machines. Node machines are hardware built to community defined um, specification. And the network um, requires information about these node machines um, that are made available to it. So this is a break from earlier. Um, practices and it looks at a decentralization architecture, which is sorry, decentralization hierarchy, which is node provider. I that's the that's the person or organization that actually owns and operates the node, the data center that the node is being run from, and the geography that the data center is in, and then the jurisdiction. And it looks at this information to combine these node machines into what are called subnet blockchains. Um, In ways that maximise resilience and security, while also driving efficiency by reducing the the, the replication required to reach those levels of uh, resilience and security.
0: So you have uh, a proof of work that requires dedicated specific machines, and you have uh, which which is which was seen for a while as like the old, and for a while everyone was looking at proof of stake as the new, and developing new consensus algorithms that kind of fork proof of stake delegated proof of stake different byzantine fault tolerances yada 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 and i agree with everything you said as it relates to to proof of stake networks and i'm gonna say that they are less permissionless they are permissioned because that's a probably like a gradient a scale like how permissionless or how decentralized are you but but like you said to stake on any blockchain that a ele- that 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 does proof of staking and to be part of that governance or to even own it or to transact on it you need to own some to use it and that could be you can be prevented from owning some by the ones that own it already by the blockchain itself can say you you're not allowed but with proof of work and and there's a reason i'm summarizing all of this was proof of work uh it's fully permissionless because there's specific hardware that you can go and access and energy is fully decentralized. You can go somewhere in the world. You can create this hardware. You can build it, You can do it. And then you can go onto the network and, and mine Bitcoin. Um, and, and the other ones too. And you've created like a hybrid. You've created like a... It's like you're marrying the best of the two. You're taking the... It's still dedicated hardware that you need. But once you have that hardware and you can get it in a decentralized way, it's then like proof of stake, similar to like a, like a a like a helium type of router or something like that.
1: Yeah, I think that's a fair description. Um, you know, um, the the internet com- computer has a very singular purpose, and that's to drive a blockchain singularity. So we needed to create a public blockchain that, you know, could run at web speed, had incredible efficiency, most importantly, could scale without bound, um, yeah. could serve web so you didn't have to rely on, you know, websites on Amazon Web Services to create dApps. Um, but we, you know, we wanted to um, create something that, was akin to the kind of network, um, I.e., Bitcoin, <laughs> that inspired me, to you know, to get into this industry and start working on on, on the underlying theory. Um, so, yeah, the the Internet computer has this sovereign network, and um, it adds capacity by creating these subnet blockchains, and it tries to minimize replication because, as you know, um, we want to yeah. host the, the the world's systems and services, so it has to run efficiently. So we use this. Thing we call deterministic decentralization um, in which nodes are combined that are independent according to this decentralization hierarchy which is a node provider either person operating owning and operating the node data center geography and jurisdiction and it's obvious to see why we do that i mean if, if you created a subnet blockchain and the same person owned all the nodes well that wouldn't be secure That's, because of the, the person of could being golf- yeah um now e- e- even if all the nodes in the subnet blockchain were owned and operated by different node providers if all the nodes are in the same data center that wouldn't work either that um you know reduces to the same problem these proof of state networks have where uh, they're running on amazon web services the owner of the data center w- would, would have control so we have to decentralize relative to the, you know the, the data center now um there's further levels of decentralization that are also necessary so um you know it's possible for disasters to befall local areas i mean uh, god forbid but a nuclear bomb could go off so sure, yeah. you want to make sure that data centers are dispersed um, across a wide geography so that's why we decentralize according to that too and finally geography isn't enough because um you know you might use you, you might use data centers all across europe but they'd all be in the the eu the sure. european union and if the european union banned blockchain then you'd have another problem so um The the internet computer creates these subnet blockchains to increase capacity um, by combining nodes that are independent according to this decentralization hierarchy of node provider, data center, geography, and jurisdiction. And that allows us to um, create the required level of resilience and and, and security at a much lower level uh, of replication with the cost, of course, that the participants have to reveal information about themselves. And that's a trade-off, but it's a trade-off we're happy to make in, in this particular case because we have to drive towards these levels of efficiency if, if we want to be able to support, um, for example, fi, you know, social yeah, networks course. that run, run entirely from the blockchain where the user's the owner, the user's the team, and where social um, functionality is blended with DeFi functionality and things like that. So, you know, yeah. it, it, it's a trade-off we have to accept.
0: So that's what we don't realize. It's like if we want to be able to, the, you know, here like Pokemon Go, here you have millions of people utilizing in real time uh, GPS, you know, constantly all over each other. We have to utilize, you know, AR technology. You have to utilize the camera, everything in real time communicating with each other. The internet as we know it today wasn't built for that, but we shouldn't be building the future internet. So furthermore, instead of what you're saying is instead of having, you know, you could have more decentralized services, you can have that type of same situation built in with NFTs. You can have uh, decentralized finance built into it. You can have all of these things, but if we're doing it where it's run on centralized services, then we're not really building a new internet. We're just rebuilding. The emperor has this, the new clothes or whatever. It's like rebuilding the same thing. Yeah. I, I really I actually love find
1: it. In, yeah, no, I, I find it upsetting because I, I find it almost like a fraud. I mean, if you, if, if you, you know, got into blockchain because you believed in the vision of, um, you know, a sort of unstoppable sovereign platform um where you know you could build free of the um control of some uh intermediary if you like then um you, sh- you certainly don't want to have that intermediary being amazon web services look um you know you may or may not support the policies of donald trump but in it, it you know you might however in either case um not be too pleased that Amazon Web Services shut down Parler. Now, if Amazon Web Services can can shut down Parler, they can certainly shut down a blockchain. And I think it's great folly that these proof of state networks are are building. Look
0: how easy it would be. There would be no warning too. You'd wake up in the morning and you'd see some press article with some news, whether it be real or fake, and then Amazon Web Services suspending like a whole blockchain with tens of thousands of token holders and you know that would be that would be kind of crazy
1: it would it would and it could you know it, it it could even be worse than that i mean that that's probably the most likely scenario, but another scenario is that an Amazon web Services employee actually gains access to the instances running these um, proof of state you know proof of state blockchain validator nodes and steals their validator keys and once you've done that, you can arbitrarily corrupt um, the blockchain
0: I've like invested in and worked for so many projects and companies over the years that have tried to rebuild the decentralized internet through different uh, through different scopes, like looking at uh, decentralized file storage, decentralized music, decentralized music videos, decentralized metaverse, decentralized of everything, right? And it always comes down to like my same question, and then I follow the technology, and what ends up happening, it's like you look at like milk, how milk has like the fat on the top. And I almost look at it like, what's the point of putting the metadata of decentralized file storage on a decentralized <laughs> blockchain if the data itself is still in a centralized place, right? You've been down this road. Oh, man, I'm, gonna, I'm pulling up research here. You worked on on in the, in the late 90s, something called smart drives. You were working on uh, trying to like some crazy stuff trying pre-Dropbox, pre-decentralized file storage. Why was it so hard then? Why is it so hard now? And do you agree with me that that's what we need to have?
1: Yeah, look, so I mean, I've obviously been working away this kind of stuff for a very long time. Yeah, you've been Um, around the block. (laughs) So yeah, you've got some good information there, Charlie. Um, No, it's true, join.com. I I was trying to create the, I think it was probably the world's first cloud service. It was called Smart Drives and- You um, probably
0: got left out of the room too.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, People thought I was cr- crazy, and um, but you know, we got quite far. We got kind of wrecked by the dot com crash. Uh, it, it had this system called adaptive redundant transfer reduction, and essentially, it was doing differential compression. Um, you know, so when you uploaded a file um, to the cloud, it would, you, you know, behind the scenes, it'd be creating a patch um, against ex- data that was already in the cloud, and we could get these incredible, um, uh, you know, amounts of compression. Um, much greater than you could do with just, you know, it's like, like a GZIP algorithm. And, you know, that was important back then, of course, because we were still using, you know, modems and, um,
0: yeah.
1: uh, you know, uh, mobile data as GPS and so on. So, uh, yeah, that, that came across. I mean, funnily enough, I'm talking about blockchain, the, the link to blockchain. I, I, it also had its own kind of certificate system built in, um, which I sort of cooked up myself uh, in naivety um, using things like Diffie Hellman.
0: Oh, like a timestamp um, type t- thing. And,
1: uh, well, no, it's like ASCII based certificates and things like that for security. But um, I was using uh, a library by, by a guy called Wei Dai. It's called Crypto. Plus Plus. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he was like, one of the pioneers of blockchain. And I remember coming across his proposal for a thing called B money um, in 1999. And I could not make head or tail of it. Um, how I wish I had listened to him more carefully. But I was using his, his cryptography library back then. In the end, actually, with that, um, we had this. Um, deal with a company called Energis, who which was which was a power company that you that, that was running fiber optic cables along its power lines to create oh, this so back. Cool. Yeah. And then they were providing the connectivity to another company called FreeServe, which was at the time the world's biggest ISP. Because what it did is it gave away free dial-up internet access and um, monetized the, the you know the 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 telephone lines. So you know when you're dialling in, a little bit of the money was going to the telecom company, a little bit of the money was going to FreeServe. Anyways, um, I was working with Energis and uh, the the plan was to sort of create this cloud service through FreeServe because there wasn't any cloud. There wasn't any infrastructure I could use to build this thing. So I had to work with partners. Anyway, the dot-com crash happened and um, kiboshed that because Energis went into administration overnight. It was horrible. But, um yes, yeah, so I've been working you know in the, in the field of distributed computing and playing around with cryptography for um many more years than I care to account um and um naturally, uh you know, Bitcoin was very inspiring to me and and that's you know that's where I got into this, and i I guess look at this point i've been i mean I started coding when I was very young, I've been coding for forty years, and um. You know, I was very into Bitcoin and I was already working on, you know, the underlying math and seeing and investigating ways to speed up, uh, you know, uh, blockchains. But um, I got involved with the Ethereum project at quite an early stage. And I came across this concept for a world computer. And it just hit me between the eyes like a world computer, of course. And, you know, I'd seen how the things had unfolded with the Internet in the 1990s. And, you know, originally there was America Online, CompuServe, Prodigy, um, and, and then, you know, Microsoft proposed this awful thing called the information superhighway. And thank God we got the public internet, you know, a decentralized global network. And that's why we got all this innovation and creativity and um, economic growth and entrepreneurial activity, because the internet is permissionless. So, you know, look, Charlie, if Charlie, you went and created like an early profitable dating site, and I created a profitable dating site, and we were competitors. You know, I couldn't phone up the owner of the internet and say, "Hey, um, if you slow down Charlie's website, I'll give you some stock in my company." Right? It was a free market, and oh, that's shit. why the internet created all this crazy growth and um, creativity and social freedoms and everything else. So um, over time, of course, um, you know, we, we saw that wasn't enough. You know, the internet connects everybody and everything, but people are building systems on platforms like Amazon Web Services, but also things like Facebook have become the platform and Google have become the platform. and They, you know, um, c- crawl and monop- monopolize um, user data and network effects. So, you know, things went backward a bit, but, you know, B- Bitcoin's the next and internet. You know, it's gonna be the final piece that decentralizes not just the network, but the actual way we build and run things. So when I heard this idea, um, this. Co- Heard this concept of a world world computer, I was like, what this, this has to be built. So, um, you know, immediately I at that point I abandoned a project I'd been working on called Pebble, which was just a faster blockchain, which had some very um uh some some particular applications um that related to my own interests at the time. And, and I started thinking about how we could build um fast and most importantly, scalable general purpose blockchains. And there was another piece to it, okay, which was that I looked at smart contracts. So, you know, I hadn't been coding 40 years then, but, you know, I'd been coding for a long time. And I'd coded every, you know, kind of system imaginable. And I'm looking at smart contracts. And, you know, they were conceived very simply just to be things that would enable you to create altcoins and things like that. But I realized that actually smart contracts were something very, very profound. They were a new kind of software and not new in the the way that, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, garbage collected language like Java is new compared to, yeah. you know, c- c- compiled C++. Um, you know, n- not, not new in that way, something much more profound. So I realized, of course, firstly, that smart contracts ran on a public network, which is naturally important. You know, mm. the, the internet beat out AOL, CompuServe, Prodigy, and information superhighway easily. And blockchain is going to beat out, um, you know, today's traditional IT infrastructure. Um, over time. Um, so they run on a public network, but there's other things about them. Okay. They're tamper proof. They always run the expected code against the expected data. So you don't need a firewall to protect smart contracts any more than you need a firewall to protect Bitcoin. So that was amazing. They're unstoppable like the internet. Then I saw that smart contracts um, are both st- software and systems at the same time. So You know, When you build software, you build it from components. You write a bit of new code, but you sort of build it from pre-existing libraries, okay? You build it from components. But with smart contracts, they're software and systems at the same time. So now you could do the same with systems. You could build systems from components. And every every smart contract can, can plug into every other smart contract so they can be part of multiple systems at once. And I realized this was immensely powerful and would create incredible network effects. And I think this is one of the primary reasons why DeFi has exploded on Ethereum. And then finally, of course, you can make them autonomous and you can apl- apply token. With that, you can apply tokenization, which, you know, can be used to create microeconomies, viral growth flywheels, decentralized um, value, all kinds of things. So, you know, my thinking was, you know, back in sort of 2015 by then, you know, early 2015, I started changing direction. It's like, okay, we've got to create a world computer which removes the limitations from smart contracts. We need smart contracts that can you know, run at web speed um, with great efficiency in a single unified environment, which is infinitely scalable. And um, later on, I saw that smart contracts also needed to be able to, s- to serve interactive web content directly to users, because otherwise, you've always got an intermediary. The, the, the smart contracts need to be able to interact directly with the end users of their services. And, um, you know, I hoped originally that this would be Ethereum 2.0, but it became a apparent that, you know, the, the amount of R&D work involved, it was just too ambitious. It was going to take too long. So eventually it became its own project. And, you know, obviously it took many years and we ended up having to hire an awful lot of uh, the, the world's leading, the most famous cryptographers, for example, to actually, you know, um, create some of the novel cryptography required to, to realize that vision. But that, that's what drove us. But the, but the aim was always to create a new internet, you know, something that's sovereign, and that's why you know the internet computer runs on this sovereign hardware.
0: You said that your goal is this, like blockchain singularity. What does that mean?
1: So, this is absolutely going to happen. If if you um, look at the history of the internet and the reasons why it succeeded compared to the walled gardens that were being proposed at the time, um, it's absolutely plain to me that blockchain, firstly, is the, is the next internet, and that the Because smart contracts are this new form of software with absolutely profound advantages, um, even if you're not even wanting to build a tokenized social FI service, even if you're just wanting to, you know, rebuild your enterprise systems, well, smart contracts are going to be a a much better choice because they're tamper-proof. You don't need to protect them with firewalls, which fail. So, um, you know, when you... See the advantages of smart contracts, and you really understand um, what they are. Um, it, it becomes uh, it, it, very obvious why it's inevitable that eventually the vast majority of humanity's systems and services will be um, rebuilt using smart contracts. But they'll also be reimagined, because smart contracts um, bring you know, provide new capabilities. And, you know that's why DeFi on Ethereum looks very very different traditional finance. And look, you know, Amazon Web Services um, is far cheaper than Ethereum. I mean, mean, the cost of a gigabyte of smart contract data on Ethereum is absolutely colossal. It's hundreds of millions of dollars at the moment. Every transaction costs you 50 dollars or something. And yet, you know, yet DeFi exists on Ethereum and not on Amazon Web Services. That's because you can only create DeFi using smart contracts.
0: Is it also because even though it's more expensive, you know that that smart contract is open source, publicly verifiable, at most of them at the same time. That Ethereum that you're holding, that you're transferring, that you're spending money to transfer, is yours. And at least to for someone for the whole network of Ethereum to 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 ruin its integrity, to freeze just your transaction, is probably not going to happen right now, at least uh, in the mechanisms that we have. So therefore, that's why even it like it costs so much more to do something on Ethereum. We're still doing it because the internet as we know it today is so terrible and we're not, it wasn't meant to do what we, what we meant. But I, I didn't know, what is this um, Microsoft information superhighway that you were alluding to? What, what, it was a walled garden that was proposed in, instead of what we have now?
1: You know, I, I could have got my history wrong, but as I recall, they were, they were pushing this thing to governments. And I think you know there was some critical juncture um, when the internet was really growing and taking off. Um, and you know consumer adoption was accelerating where um you know there were various corporations suggesting different ways of doing things and and, and proposing that they could create um you know walled gardens where all the content would be carefully created and yeah all the the users would be much safer but i mean please don't take the history from that i mean i haven't I haven't I haven't checked the facts for a long time, but you know generally speaking you know um there were, there were competing views um in in the late nineties about what the internet should be, and on, you know, on the one hand, um, you know, th- there were people saying that it should be a kind of walled garden with corporations curating the content and so on. But on the other hand, um, there was just this sort of beautiful decentralized protocol which enabled any ISP to extend the open public internet and anybody to to connect to it and and provide services. And you know, it was this latter approach that easily so won out cool. and i think the same the same is going to happen with with blockchain look i mean if you're a developer today and you're you're wanting to um you know start building cool things and um, the lots of people use uh, you know you'd be crazy to to do it on amazon web services you know build it in a sovereign environment build it in on the internet of tomorrow build it on blockchain whether that's the internet computer or another one but i will say though that you know the, as you say charlie a lot of the magic is that you know, the blockchain is this sort of sovereign public environment, much like the internet's this sovereign public network. And, uh, you know, if you build on a proof of state network that's running almost entirely on Amazon web services, I'm not sure, um, you know, how sovereign it truly is. It's really just a layer to application of of big techs. Well, especially
0: because we talk about sovereignty. And the reason that's important here is because this was never proposed on the early internet, so even until 2009, but we have something called governance now. We have, it's, a, it's now a two-way street. It's now the users and the abusers. No, the users and the holders and the miners and the node runners, everyone can participate. Not can participate, but there's actual, has a like, uh, um, the ability to participate in, in governance and to, you know, we just saw with Polkadot the other day, there was a big parachain, uh, type of vote. And there was a lot of, you know, you do all this tech and R&D work and then you risk that your holders won't actually approve it or that they will. And it keeps the integrity of the system. We never had this governance thing. We never had it before. So we don't know how it like gets involved in the social economics of everything. Do we want to participate in governance? Some people don't want to be their own banks. I want to hold money and let someone else vote for me. Like it's a lot of work. Uh, so you've kind of like looked at this and you've developed this node nervous system that kind of governs, uh, the ice, you know, the internet computer. Uh, uh, what is that and why is that so novel?
1: Well, uh, I mean, standing back, of course, you know, um, the internet is a public decentralized network. Um, but, but actually there are some centralized organizations that um, play a very major, major part in operating it. So um, most obviously there's ICANN and, um, you could joke around and say, um, you know, when Vince Cerf and the others, you know, um, ran ICANN, they also created an illegal um, securities ledger of things called domain names. And these things became highly speculative digital assets and everybody yeah. was trading these domain names. But um, uh, more seriously, uh, you know, yeah, this organization called ICANN is, is, plays a central role in the operation of the internet. So, um, you know, uh, blockchain, um, you know, moved past that. I mean, Bitcoin, most, ob- most obviously, uh did didn't rely on you know the bitcoin foundation say um for the up for, for for updates and so on yeah um the challenge though is that um you know bitcoin by design and it's a, it's it's a you know part of its value is very simple you know it's producing digital gold really um but but when you sort of push into the realms of general purpose blockchains the science gets more complicated and the um, software that you run on the nodes gets much more complicated too. So um, you wanna, and and, you know, people building on top want constant improvement. So first of all, you need ways of evolving the blockchain that are better than the sort of uh, traditional way of doing things, which is through hard forks. So for those uh, listeners that, you know, aren't so familiar, you know, traditionally with the blockchain, um, you know, all, all the nodes are running compatible software, and then somebody proposes um, changing the logic, changing the protocol, typically, um, in ways that would break the network. And um, you have to sort of orchestrate a sort of simultaneous upgrade, if you like. And there are way- ways you can fudge it with soft forks and hard forks and so on. But essentially, you have to get everybody to upgrade. So, you know, key players and there's a lot of discussion. Yeah, there's a lot of work, no
0: turnout. Like even that polka dot one I just talked about, I got to prove, but the turnout was 4% of all the token holders. (laughs) Oh dear. And they set the threshold at 2%, knowing that it was probably... So, I mean, it's so early and experimental. We don't know how governance is going to be. It's crazy to think about governance. Like it's just a yeah oh my god it's difficult so you, you know the problems and also
1: sometimes hard forks go terribly wrong because they become very divisive and you get two different camps um, and you know some of the blockchain forks perhaps resulted from from, from those kind of differing opinions yeah. so you know i, I you know um, internet computer is very uh, blockchain forward if you, you know it, you know it's um, future tech we push as hard as we can to solve every problem and so we decided that the internet computer blockchain would actually run under the control of a permissionless governance system called the network nervous system. And this would run within the protocols. And that would enable the um, network nervous system to update the protocol and the software running on the nodes, configure economic parameters, Mm -hmm. and also um, network parameters because as you know, the internet computer is constantly forming new subnet blockchains to add capacity. We designed this thing, and and essentially it works by uh, by reacting to the voting activity of things we call neurons. And these voting neurons can be created by anybody. You just have to stake some ICP, which is a sort of governance utility token, inside the network nervous system. And when you do that, um, you have to specify um, uh, what's known as a dissolve delay, how quickly you can get the staked ICP back once you start dissolving this neuron, right? It's a bit like a savings account where you have to give notice of withdrawals and the longer the notice period the greater your voting or uh, your the greater your voting power and the greater the voting rewards you receive for voting and and the reason for that of course is that you know um, we expect that people will always vote to maximize the value of the staked icp on the time horizon um of when you can first get them back. So if you've locked it up, if you've locked up your ICP for four years, say, the maximum's eight years, if you locked it up for four years, well, you're you're gonna, at the minimum, vote uh, for proposals that will tend to maximize the value of the staked ICP in four years' time. So, you know, that's a proxy, of course, a a crypto-economic proxy for the success of the network. Um, Now, if if you do this, you create a voting neuron, you don't have to vote on every proposal manually yourself. And that would actually be difficult because it's already processed some thousands of proposals. What you can do is configure your neuron to follow um, other neurons um, with areas of, you know, who, who, for example, sure. uh, belong to parties that have, a, have ex- specific expertise. And you can say like, for example, on a cryptography topic, you know, I'm gonna follow these neurons held by five cryptographers. And if three of them vote to adopt this proposal, I'm gonna vote automatically to do You can two.
0: set parameters. Then,
1: Yeah, you can totally configure it. So um, it's a kind of advanced form of algorithmic liquid democracy. And what's so cool is that anybody can submit these proposals to the network nervous system and it always either adopts them or rejects them. And if they're adopted, it executes them entirely automatically. Um, The only only exception to that is is a motion proposal, which is designed to align the community, which doesn't result in any execution. It's just there for people to either adopt it or reject it. Um, but but all, all the others, you know, uh, you know, you put them in and, and if they're um, adopted, then they're executed immediately. And that could be creating a new subnet. It could be installing new software on the nodes. Um, so, you know, obviously it has to be very secure. And um, now currently... Um,
0: that it, solves it's... the biggest problem with politics that we have today is like that relationship between your local, your like immediate representative and you. There's no direct relationship of like constant stream of information and communication.
1: It does. There's still some work to do. I mean, um, what happened was so. There's a couple of organisations in the space. One is the Definity Foundation, which we all know about. Another one's called the Internet Computer Association, which is still very nascent. And they run neurons. Um, these neurons actually aren't controlled by the organisations. These neurons, in turn, for the purposes of security, actually just follow a whole bunch of um, uh, engineers and cryptographers and so on. Um, so uh, what we did is when when we Created this thing called the, the network nervous system Frontend DAP. You can find it at nns.ic0.app. It's actually served straight from the blockchain. Um, is we provided these neurons as suggestions when people created their own neurons. Like, hey, if you want to follow some neurons, you can follow these kind. Oh, of thing.
0: very cool. Um,
1: yeah, no, it was it was great, but it was too convenient. So of course, the result was everybody just followed the the foundation neuron and the ICA neuron, um, which in turn, by the way, aren't controlled by the foundation or the ICA. We've um, Thrown away the private keys. They're actually uh, they're actually controlled by their followees um, for security reasons. But so you're not really just following one organisation. You're actually following lots and lots of different engineers. But nonetheless, we still we don't like that. So we you know we've begun working with the community and we want to see lots of people creating neurons and publicising their you know their neuron uh, identifier so that um, other people can follow them. So that's something we're working on at the moment. That's going pretty well. So, in the long run, you know we want to see um, we don't want to see um, you know uh, everybody just following the DFINITY Foundations say, even if in practice that neuron isn't controlled by anyone there's no there's, the private key was thrown away, it just follows other people. We want to see people um, following you know um, a, a, a broad range of community members and you know it doesn't matter if the people work for DFINITY or work at a university or they're just you know uh, community members. Uh, interested in general governance, but we want to see lots and lots of people creating neurons and um, advertising the addresses. And we've been sort of looking at, and we we haven't got there yet, but we've been looking at, you know, um, how we can tweak the tokenomics to encourage people to, to do that.
0: Sorry to interrupt your regular scheduled programming, but I wanted to tell you guys that if you're using PancakeSwap, Uniswap, DYDX, SushiSwap, you're doing it wrong. You need to be using PowerSwap, because PowerSwap is a user interface, a decentralized smart contract platform that sits on top of all of these. And when you go to Paraswap or untoldstories.link forward slash Paraswap, because they're refunding your gas. If you go there, then you'll be able to, on top of Ethereum, Binance Smart Chain and Polygon, look for the best prices for your tokens and swap and do everything in one predefined transaction on chain, instead of having to do the approval to this token, to that token, to do all these different things, Paraswap does it all for you. It's decentralized. They just released their API version five that you can see everything. It's all open source. Very cool stuff. UntoldStories.link forward slash Paraswap. If you're using any of the other decentralized protocols, you're doing it wrong because you need to be using the routing, beautiful Paraswap routing system, and it's fully decentralized too. It's gorgeous. Talk to you guys soon. I wanted to ask you if you are hiring and if if you are looking for specific types of entrepreneurs and businesses to launch things on top of the internet computer to come work for you.
1: Yeah, it's a good, really good question. So look, I mean, um, you know, uh, it's very important uh, all sort of organizations uh, trying to change the world in the way we are, you know, own their strengths and weaknesses. And you know, I think it's true that, um, firstly, you know, when I was first involved in blockchain, it was a field for enthusiasts, you know, people yeah. who are passionate about the technology and the changes it could bring about. So, you know, I count myself as a sort of uh, blockchain maximalist, um, you know, on a mission to create a blockchain singularity. And so, you know, we, back in 2017, and we've been working on it for a while, we raised money and went into the sort of proverbial garage and um, set about producing what we hope could deliver the um, realize the world computer vision. And, you know, obviously it was a bit bigger than a garage. In order to do this, we had to, you know, create research centers around the world. And, you know, I'm talking to you from Zurich, um, but we have other centers in San Francisco and Palo Alto and these remote teams all over the place. And, you know, we had to build this R&D organization. And, that involved obviously hiring a lot of talent, and it's no secret. I think we probably have more of the world's leading cryptographers in one organization wow. than any other organization uh, in tech. So, um, you know, we built this thing out. We've also got other kind of leading lights from different fields. Like, I you know, Andreas Rosberg is the
0: yeah. co-inventor
1: of WebAssembly. Web you know, he joined in 2017. So. You know, we built this organization out. We hired a lot of talent. Actually, organization building is really, really tough, as I found out. Yeah, it is. Um, Yeah, really, really tough, especially in fields like uh, crypto, where everyone's a little bit, you know, anarchic and decentralized anyway. (laughs) Um, So, you know, it took a long time, you know, to to get all of that talent working together really effectively. It's not just even about the talent alone. So we did that. And truth be told, you know, we created an absolutely extraordinary R&D organization, and we pulled off. Some amazing feats um, that that exceeded, you know, um, my best hopes by a long way. Um, but we, you know, we went live with Genesis, and we sort of stumbled, or I did, out into the limelight and um, doing our best with marketing and PR and so on. But I think I sort of imagined everyone in blockchain would be, you know, "Hooray! You've solved these fundamental computer science and blockchain problems. This is fantastic. We're moving the game forward." Of course, the reality was in those years when, when yeah. we'd been in, in the garage blockchain had become this sort of trillion-dollar industry. And um, there's all kinds of competitors with hundreds of billions of dollars of tokens at stake who certainly didn't like us. So it was a very tough baptism of fire we faced. You know, we, we faced market manipulation, news blackouts, shilling on social media, lawsuits. I mean, you couldn't make it up. It was incredible. And um, we also had some craziness inside. So we survived all of that, you know. And the great news is that... Here you are today. Here I am, and the the adoption's going really well. So, you know, engineers are are a pretty smart bunch, and there's, you know, a sufficient number of them. We've got hundreds and hundreds of people building now on the internet computer, and what is it, five five months in. So that's going well despite everything. However, um, you know, what we are looking for is sort of shrewd blockchain business people who know how to deal with this environment and have the kind of smarts because you know blockchain is an industry completely unlike any other yeah it's still remains fairly unregulated um it's a wild west and um, there's a huge amount of money at stake now there's a lot of different actors it's ferociously competitive and i mean you know uh, all kinds of things go on i won't mention all the things that it's have exhausting. happened to us yeah but you know um <laughs> That's all good. So you know, we definitely we we would love to speak to. I mean, you know, people like you, you know, that 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 have sort of perspectives on. Um, Thank you. Uh, you know, communicating um, blockchain to the the complex blockchain issues to the wider world. I and mean, you touched on sovereignty. I think that's not nearly talked about enough. Also, um, you know, people who can you know navigate, uh, help navigate, and uh, compete in this sort of Byzantine environment that's arisen.
0: So, I want to you come know, work though, for you now. That sounds exciting. There you go, right? Yeah, it sounds yeah, so, great.
1: Yeah, so that, that, those kind of people. And also, I, I want to talk as well to potential blockchain entrepreneurs about why they should build on the internet computer. So, you know, um, the, the community of people building is growing every day. And there's all kinds of interesting things being built that you couldn't even remotely build on another blockchain. I'm going to give you an example. OpenChat. So, OpenChat is going to be socialFi. It's a chat service. You can find it at OC.app, but um, it's served directly from the blockchain. So, when you type in OC.app, it will redirect you to some strange-looking address. And um, this is some. It looks at the moment a bit like WhatsApp, but it's going to be very profoundly different. So, in the future, you know, um, your chat account is going to be a wallet. You know, and you're going to be able to send crypto assets and chat messages. You're also going to be able to notarize documents on the blockchain, um, sign documents um organize uh you know negotiate uh you know deals for nfts and make atomic transfers like the the chat of tomorrow is going to look completely different to the chat yeah. of today and you know there's going to be a spectrum where you have like social and games on one end and and uh, pure defi on the other and then you know you're going to get in the middle things like defi and social fi and this is going to be huge so anyway, look you know this is an example of a team building now um, why did they why did they choose to build on the Internet computer? Well, firstly, very obviously, um, it's true web, web 3.0, and we'll get back to the import- importance of that in a moment. You can build something without any reliance on you know, traditional IT. So you know there's no uh, website and Amazon Web Services. This thing um, lives on the Internet computer. The smart contracts are fast and efficient enough to process chat messages, and they're actually serving the web content directly into the browser, which is done using some clever cryptography, which I, I won't get into here. So um, first of all, it's the only, only place you can do something like that, but there's much more. So, you know, one of the, the things I've been coming across recently is, you know, people come to me and they say, teams come and they say, hey, you know, we'd love to build on the internet computer, but, you know, your grants program is giving out these relatively, you know, small grants. And um, it's true, you know, I mean, I think we've given out a hundred grants so far, but they're pretty small. Meanwhile, this other, you know, yeah. big proof of stake blockchain is, you know, the foundation is going to give me half a million dollars. So. What I'd say to people is, you know, um, believe in decentralization and, and don't curse yourself by following that route, and I'll explain why. Um, what's coming is something called the service nervous system functionality. And it's gonna enable you to take something like OpenChat and decentralize it so the smart contracts that, um, that it runs on actually um, are assigned to the control of something that looks like the network nervous system but is actually created for purpose a turnkey service nervous system, okay? So today, the internet computer network is controlled by the network nervous system and has an accompanying ICP ledger, which is, you know, the ledger of governance tokens that you can use to create neurons. So in the future, if you create a DAP, you're gonna be able to fully decentralize it by creating, you know, assigning control to a turnkey service nervous system um, and governance token ledger. Essentially, yeah, that service nervous system is like a super DAO. That's one way of understanding it. Yeah. But I'll, I'll just run run very very quickly run run through the the process that's involved. So, you know, let's say you're open chat, um, you, you know, you're ready to decentralize. You press the button. At that point, the network nervous system creates a service nervous system. It's the same technology as the network nervous system, obviously. The service nervous system now controls. Open, open chat right you don't you know the developers of open chat have lost control of the smart contracts that it runs on at this point the service nervous system now creates a governance token ledger which is again the same technology as the icp ledger compatible with exchanges worldwide and so on um it creates a billion governance tokens takes some proportion say 40 percent and auctions them it, you know it uses a single clearing price auction sure and People will um, buy those governance tokens using something called Cycles, which is um, like a stable currency on the internet computer. The service nervous system will hold the proceeds from that auction and return to the participants the governance tokens, let's call them OCT in the case of OpenChat. In the ratio, 90% neurons, that 90% ready locked inside the governance system, 10% liquid. Now, the service, the DAP, is running completely under the control of the service nervous system. And you know, you should have thousands of people holding neurons, voting neurons, that enable the service nervous system to make decisions on things like software updates and economic configurations. Once that's happened, and it's fully decentralized and autonomous, the service nervous system then grants back to the, develop- the original development team um, some tranche of governance tokens, again in the ratio 90% neurons and 10% liquid. So o- obviously that tranche is smaller though than the tranche that was auctioned, so it remains decentralized. The key bit, though, is that now you're running as an extension of the blockchain. You're no longer a dApp. You're running as an extension of the blockchain with your own micro-economy within the blockchain's macro-economy, and this means you can employ very, very sophisticated tokenization um, uh, strategies. Uh, so, for example, with OpenChat, what you'll probably see is that if you're online, if you're online, you know you might participate in random airdrops. So, you know, Charlie, let's say you're on OpenChat. You, you, OpenChat might just ping you out of the blue occasionally, you know, once every week or so, and just say, hey, prove you're not a bot, do this capture, or do some other thing that proves proves you're not a bot. And if you do that, it'll give you some small amount of governance tokens. So the aim is you've got this last tranche of governance tokens, and you give them out to users so that users become the owners of these um, next generation, fully decentralized dApps. And the aim is to make the users both the owners and the team. So the users who are, you know, uh, who are receiving these governance tokens become your advocates that bring other people into the, um, in this case, chat service, and 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 of course, potentially participate in other things, other kinds of things like like moderation. So my prediction is that you know, we, um, if as expected, service nervous system functionality launches in, wow. in, in, in in three months' time, these these projects that play, put their faith into centralization and blockchain rather than Grants from centralised organisations will find themselves raising vastly more money um, than they would have been able to raise than if they'd have taken grants um, from from these organisations. Well, yeah, of and course, once, yeah.
0: No, I was and saying once, it's uh, there. You go. You finish. You finish your thought. I'll remember. No, mine. I was
1: going to. I was going to say that one. You know, if if you're a project and you want to create something like that, once you've taken a big grant from, from a foundation, yeah. uh, or you take venture capital, it becomes somewhat harder to. Take the full decentralization route because, you know, um, I'll give you an, exa- you know, I give you an example. You know, if you look at something like Uniswap, um, you know, these things are designed to be fully decentralized. They've got governance tokens and so on, but unfortunately, in the case of Ethereum, you know, you always adapt. Really, is a blockchain application. It's a website that backs onto the blockchain, and the developers' names are on the accounts that run the website, right? So that's why Uniswap recently had to delist fifty percent of its tokens. So. You know, you don't want anybody looking at a DAP and imagining that you somehow are, are responsible for it. Um, the advantage of, a, of this alternative route where you fully decentralize is that you don't, for example, um, receive the proceeds from this decentralization auction. They're held in this decentralized autonomous organization, the service nervous system, okay? And it's the service nervous system, and the community of thousands of people that So it's like a token sale this...
0: where the money goes directly to a DAO. And, and yes. the founders have no control over it, even the money going through. And then the future token holders are the ones that get to vote on how that money is used. First of all, that's fucking brilliant in and of itself. But what I really love about this, and I, and I don't want to figure out this point, and that's why I was interrupting you, is that traditionally it's not just grants. Anyone who wants to work for, build on top of, interact with, own a significant amount, you got to contact the team, the foundation, you got to be involved. And you're... DAP or your project that you're trying to build on top of that layer one or your layer two on top of that layer one, you rely that you you have to hope forever that your incentives are constantly aligned with all of the other DAPs and all the other projects on top of that same layer one because y'all are voting together and you all holding the same token and voting together on the same proposals and the same upgrades. We're here. I'm able to create my own like sub chain that all of the, the applications that need to develop and upgrade and everything, it's like my own central nervous system that exists within your central nervous system. And it's, it's fucking brilliant. But how, so then how does, how do the, million, the, the millions of, 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 of subs, sec, how do they support the main one uh, in a security way, in a secure way, like preventing from attacks and things like that? That's really like my yeah. only question I have left. <laughs> so um,
1: I mean, yeah, so so to be clear, there's um, you know that these things are built on top of the um, blockchain. So um, if, you know, you're not creating a new blockchain. It's not like a model. It's not a model like you know Polkadot where you have to create an sure. power chain because the trouble with that is you dilute the security and it becomes. Th- That's what I was getting to, at. Yeah, it becomes very difficult to reason about trust because you have all these different trust zones. So, um, you know, the internet computer is a single trust zone. Um, you know, you're just building with smart contracts, and you know every smart contract on the internet computer can directly interact with every other smart contract on the inter- internet computer just by calling its functions. So it's a completely seamless environment. the The subnet blockchains that add capacity to the internet computer are completely transparent to the smart contracts. In fact, the subnet blockchains, and this is a technical topic, obviously, are able to act as a single blockchain thanks to something called chain key cryptography, and that's, that's so cool. one of the key. key key innovations at the sort of heart of the internet computer and that's how you know we're integrating with with bitcoin and trying to add smart contracts to bitcoin um so um but yeah you know when you you know once you fully decentralize you know like this you know the internet computer con- sorry the network nervous system controls the internet computer it also controls the service nervous systems and then those service nervous systems obviously are created by developers themselves uh, you know they they ask that the network nervous system to create them but those service nervous systems are created to manage the um, dApps and services that the developers have created. But essentially, once you've done, you know, once you've gone through that full decentralization process, your dApp is really running as an extension of the blockchain. You know, you're not running nodes or anything like that yourself. You're still just writing smart contract code. Yeah. But it's running as, as an extension of the blockchain. Um, it, you know, in this, because, you know, you don't control it, you know, the service nervous system controls it. and. Um, and as, and as much as there's a higher controller of the service nervous system, it's the network nervous system, but it would only ever step in in, in in the event there was some, you know, d- disaster. So, you know, blockchains, and you know, it's it, 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 only if you fully decentralize can you employ yeah, next-generation tokenization um, strategies. And that's why just pushing for decentralization, decentralization, decentralization is so, so important. Um, and it's the future because it doesn't just enable you to, um, you know, it changes the very nature of um, ADAPT. So, you know, today, we, we all know, look, I could give you a billion dollars and say, uh, go and build a competing service to WhatsApp. You wouldn't have a chance. And the reason is that, you know, these network effects kick in and yeah, everybody's on make... WhatsApp. Yeah, so if you want to take on WhatsApp, you really have to do something profoundly different. And that's going to involve um, using... Uh, first of all, tokenization to make the user the owner. Um, so, you know, everyone w- wants to be online on a service where they keep randomly get given ownership, you know p- little pieces that increase their ownership in the service. Um, but also, you know, use exciting tokenization strategies that en- enable these kind of services uh, to do things that you can't do with uh, a traditional centralized service.
0: Well, like you said, the, the Web 3.0 and decentralized internet, I mean, it came out of the internet. It came out of out of a a mailing list. So it's like where humanity is constantly evolving itself into the next thing. And, you know, it's so funny because there's so many social networks and chat apps over the years that have tried to do what WhatsApp did. But you're right. It needs to be completely profound because I think humanity, I think we've all realized that we are going towards this like singularity, this blockchain singularity. And we're and and so it's like you're not going to waste time building shit that is on the old, you know, the old rails. I I really appreciate you taking the time and and really explaining some of these these in-depth technical topics uh, uh, to my listeners today, because um, I really didn't expect to have such a deep understanding of not just how uh, the Internet computer works, but how uh, old tech we're still how we're still relying on old tech for some of the other projects and services shit that I've invested in. I got to get on the phone. Some of these people (laughs) after this phone call, Dominic (laughs) Williams. Thank you so much for taking the time and coming on Untold Stories today. Fuck, I really appreciate this. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Yeah,
1: th- thank you so much, Charlie. Glad to be here. And I think it's it's been years since we last interacted. It's good to uh, finally d- speak. I think we were, we spoke on text messages or something like that last time. Skype I chat rooms and back in the day Skype, something in like that. Early days years of Bitcoin. Ago, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'll talk right. to you
0: later. Thank you. All
1: right, thanks, Charlie.